kick the Elite 64's ass this year uh, and and every year. Woohoo! podcast we've reached double figures Woohoo! i was expecting like a slightly more <laughs> enthusiastic response but uh yeah we're back it's been an, another actually quite short month i think it's only been like roughly a quarter or so uh maybe six i don't even know um but we are back um i'm here i'm simon and i'm with my co-host jamie jamie how you doing yep doing good thanks simon how are you yeah doing well doing well um a bit bored by the new FPL season already, but hopefully some uh, sure some things will spice it up soon enough. Hopefully, sounds like there's some things are starting to happen a little bit, which is sort of yeah, much needed. So yeah, see see how much that is able to generate any interest. Yeah, fingers crossed. So today we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk a bit about some teams. Uh, as you may know, me and Jamie both have team ratings models and sometimes they agree and sometimes they vehemently disagree um so i think there's a few interesting teams to talk about more likely on the ones where they disagree uh, and or where they've been diverging we're probably going to chat a bit about uh chelsea and brighton in particular given the tuchel sacking and the likely potter going to chelsea um we're going to talk about jamie mentioned and if you haven't heard it the um fpl optimized crossover where we were both guests mentioned he wasn't going to play and um, as i predicted on that pod he would <laughs> he did uh, so we're going to kind of dig into why and whether he regrets it already and um yeah probably some other stuff dynamics of the season salah harland some other fpl stuff which we may or may not get to why don't we kick off with some teams cool 
Do you wanna do you wanna give me a team and uh, we can chat about them? All right, cool. Well, well, why don't you talk about Chelsea and how you see them, like compared to what you thought coming in, and yeah, like whether you think the sacking is kind of justifiable on like trajectory, like football grounds, stuff like that. Yeah, Chelsea an interesting one. Chelsea are one where I think our models broadly agree with each other both at the start of the season and how they've moved since, if I'm not wrong. Um, I think you had them maybe a tiny bit higher, uh, but I've pretty much caught up with that. Uh, or like they're, they're pretty much the same now. Right. It was very marginal though. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, like, I mean, I had them like third best team coming in and I don't know if you maybe had Spurs, but yeah, I, that's, that's, I saw them you know, much closer to Spurs and Arsenal than to Liverpool. Uh that that kind of that kind of ballpark. Yeah, I think I had them and them and Spurs pretty close. But I think just on the like the actual rating itself, like the goals difference, I think they were pretty much the same. Right, okay. Cool. Uh, I think we I think we we disagree on how good Spurs are more than disagreeing on how good Chelsea are. Yep. So they're they're broadly fine. Um Coming in, there was no real reason to look at them and think Tuchel's starting the season with a lot of pressure for football reasons. And it's not been good, the first six games. And obviously the Champions League game wasn't great. Yeah, They're the the biggest downwards mover in my model. And on the numbers so far this season, I have them kind of like mid-table on the schedule adjusted XG, like 11th or something. Okay. Which is obviously not like very good for Chelsea. Obviously, it's only six games. I think I think it's a dumb decision to have sacked Tuchel. I'll put my cards on the table. <laughs> I think the the squad construction is just all over the place. They basically have a team which relies on N'Golo Kante being fit, and he's played about fifty percent of the minutes in the last like two or three seasons. Mm. And nearly all of their rating changes come since he got injured in the Tottenham game. So they were, I mean, it's only two games, but they, they weren't losing rating in the first two games for me or very little. And then they've just been losing quite a lot of rating consistently since then. Mm. Which, and I, and I know they've had like Kovacic injured as well, but Conor Gallagher, we're going to talk about Conor Gallagher as well at the start of the season, aren't we? <laughs> He's a really weird player. He seems to be kind of allergic to the ball and can't really pass but does everything else quite well. Right, because I wasn't like... He, he does really press and stuff like that, doesn't he? He is actually quite good without the ball and stuff. Yeah, and he's not a bad ball carrier. Um, he can kind of like support in final actions as well, but he just takes very few touches and doesn't pass very well, which is just strange. Yeah, it strikes me... like I mean, it's easy to say this when thinking about how it worked out at Palace and like how it's going so far at Chelsea but he he does seem to maybe be the type of player that might be really well suited to being on teams that expect to not have the ball very much and maybe have it in transition when they have it you know I mean like maybe on a team where with a, that are overdogs he might not be able to like be his best unless he kind of unlocks something else yeah that makes sense or at least very much anti, like allergic to Tuchel's system, where it's based on like control and keeping the ball and and kind of just essentially waiting for the opposition to make a mistake by exerting extreme control. Right. And yeah, it's, it, 
I mean, Tuchel should share some blame in the squad construction, obviously, because it was kind of the the Tuchel Bowley show with no sporting director. But I'm I don't see what firing Tuchel does to make your midfielders fit again or to get you new ones, which is the basic problem with Chelsea, as I see it. Yeah. I mean, I suppose Chelsea, it's no one's really surprised at the same time that they have fired Tuchel because it's kind of very much within the bounds of their sort of normal operating model, right? This kind of this kind of decision after this, you know, this much evidence. Yeah, that's true. Although it's completely new ownership, so I guess I I didn't really know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, they could have chosen to do something different, but no. <laughs> what about your take on Chelsea? Similar, different. I mean, yeah, I think it's similar. Like, I don't really pretend to know as much about like the actual football stuff. It's more just viewing it through the eyes of the model. And you know, like my impression of Tuchel's spell at Chelsea was always that I was like waiting for it to start. Like, I was always waiting for it, it to actually get good. I even when the the first like whatever first part of the season that he arrived at and they they were pretty much like the numbers they put up in that spell were like legitimately kind of best defensive team in the world type type level I still thought well there's just not enough attack like to to be a consistently good team and okay they ground out the Champions League and that's that's great like winning the Champions League is uh, is is amazing um, so yeah, that's going to buy you like a lot of time, but like I've never had them as being close to like a title challenger, and I thought that they were. I thought that they were trying to be. You know, it wasn't like they were kind of just trying to coast. I don't think with the the, the way they were spending money and stuff like that. So yeah, I was always underwhelmed by them, and then last and like last year they were just like stayed absolutely still in the model like all year they're one of the teams that just did not didn't change my opinion of them all all year and then came into the year with that opinion and then it's like it's kind of fair to play it has sort of blown up a bit and then you've got Arsenal and Spurs looking better than they have for many like some years and so you put that all together and all of a sudden they're like uh, underdogs for like Champions League which, okay, I guess maybe you want to change stuff. My impression of the new ownership so far has been like all the signs that you'd like, want, like not want to see, but all the signs that you might see that would maybe make you worry that there wasn't like a coherent plan and they were maybe just going to do things in like a unplanned kind of way, haphazard kind of way. Uh, I would say that, that like all the evidence is pointing towards that so far. Someone pointed out to me that the people that they signed were actually quite good in the window. And it's actually, I, I don't disagree with that, apart from obviously the Aubameyang signing, which it seems like maybe it's the sort of luxury that a team like Chelsea can take, you know, is to sign a guy like that and hope hope to get um, some of a year out of him, you know, uh, and and then whether they're waiting on someone else coming through or something like that. But yeah, I think that, it bodes quite badly for them in the longer term uh, how things have started so far under Bully. And yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, if they sign, if they were to hire Graham Potter, then we were talking about it on the chat today. Like I was saying that, I, yes, that is a good sign because he's a really good manager. Is he right for a club the size of Chelsea Like and their expectations? Not sure, but it'd be cool to find out. But I don't really see it necessarily as evidence that the 
board know what they're doing either. And I, I would want to know that they were going to like support him and put the infrastructure around him that he would definitely want to be there and stuff like that. And uh, not really confident about that happening at the moment either, but could could be really cool. Yeah, it could be interesting. I, th- I think we may as well chat about Potter here now. Um, so I, I completely agree with you on the attack. It, I definitely saw kind of like the crazy defensive numbers initially. And then they came back to earth just because you basically can't concede no chances forever. And the attack, like you say, never really got going. It was always kind of like just meh, not like awful, but n- not very impressive. Yeah. And Potter's kind of like the mid-table version of that. So he's he's obviously overachieved at Brighton, but he's done so off th- on the back of building an absolutely stonking defence. And the attack has been pretty so-so. Um, we're talking like his three seasons there. We're talking about like one point one non-penalty expected goals per game, yeah. uh, kind of like fluctuating around that. There's like a couple slightly below it, and there's one like nearly at one point two in the middle, which is not great even for a mid-table team. And obviously the defense has been great, but if you're Chelsea and you're looking to bring in a manager that's going to coach a great attack. It's not something that we've seen from Potter so far. Nope. Yeah. Unclear if you'd be able to do it or not and how it'd look. But yeah, it'd be cool to see. What do you think about like FPL implications of Potter becoming Chelsea manager for, for like this season, let's say, if it, it should happen? Well, I think, I guess we'll, we'll get some data as the matches roll in. But before that happens, my initial hunch would be pile on the defense, ignore the attack, which I guess is basically where we work with Chelsea anyway. Yeah. So nothing's changed? Yeah. Should be, <laughs> the, yeah, pretty much I would say as well. Yeah, there should be the competent uh, and like quite stodgy team that we, we believe them to be coming into the season. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe Potter is being held back by, you know, like Leandro Trossard and Pascal Gross being your like attackers because it's not great. Yep. Um, so, so maybe they will get a big tune out of the attackers, but I would want to see some quite significant evidence on that, whereas I have pretty high confidence that the defence will continue to be good. i probably be better than it has been in these six games and be more like the kind of Chelsea level we saw last year. Yeah. Who have um, Brighton been playing in midfield now that Basuma isn't there? Because I, I associate Potter with having some, like, good well like i don't know how to describe yeah maybe you'd be better at describing them but like players like Yves Basuma who are sort of pretty good at the jobs that are associated with being a central midfielder you know not like glamorous players or that but um because yeah who have they been playing this year Caicedo ah the new he's a new guy right well he was there last year but he's pretty young uh, yeah. i think he's only like 20 now so he got like a few hundred minutes last year yeah, uh, but he's been he's been at the club since twenty twenty, I think. Ah, okay. But yeah, it's that classic sort of like having the replacement ready so they can make some money on Basuma and then like argue that they're not not getting worse at all. Yeah, exactly. And then they what they signed Billy Gilmore on deadline day, but he hasn't. Right. He's not really played for them yet. Maybe I think he came off the bench last game. He's subbed on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's. I thought that was a very kind of Potter. Uh, sign in as well so yeah it'd be funny if he goes, ends up going to Chelsea doesn't have him <laughs> yeah I know it'd be hilarious <laughs> isn't it but he gets Kukurea back so lucky him well yeah it swings and roundabouts should we talk about Brighton 
Aye, all right. Uh, our models disagree on Brighton. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right, yeah. Like, go tell me, but you, you've been looking into the areas that the models are like diverging or you know uh, harmonious and stuff. So tell me what's happening. So I had Brighton at the start of the season as like a, a mildly below average, like negative goal difference um, team. Like not not bad at all. I think it was like minus point one or something. And I think you had them kind of on the other side of that, around like almost plus point one, a little bit less. Yeah. What I find what I find interesting around Brighton, although it's actually not that interesting, but it's probably interesting for the listeners, is that m- most of the time, whichever model kind of like our models have been moving towards each other in the truest sense. So it's like being rated higher in your model versus pre season has predicted them improving in my model and being rated higher in your model versus my model has predicted them like getting worse in your model so it's in like actual actual convergence it's not just like one is moving towards the other they're kind of both moving towards um, towards each other in general yeah 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 that sounds nice but with brighton they're diverging so they started off kind of like about 0.2 goals better in yours and then they've shifted and and now they're the team that I think we disagree on maybe the most apart from Newcastle. Mm, yeah. I think it makes sense looking at it because they've had three penalties in six games. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that'll do it. Probably that'll do it on its own, to be honest. Just a different way that we treat the penalties. So your model is basically... Your your model is, is nice in that way. It's like um, looking at non-penalty XG because that's like more predictable and it's like smoother so and then you're modeling like their capacity for penalties based on what you know has a uh, sort of predictive relationship to producing penalties uh, yeah, whereas, essentially, yeah 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 and yeah it's not to sum if i'm wrong and mine is using a mixture of pure XG which just includes penalties and like no flag for you know whether or not it came from a penalty or not and then some non-shot xg which is i think a lot of the value that that's adding for me is is acting as a proxy for penalty production you know like likelihood to produce pen um like if you in if you index like if there where there is a difference between those two things it might explain you know the absence or the incidence of penalties and so i think i think that is one of the areas where non-shot xg is is valuable in in the model uh for me um because you'd associate teams doing well on that it's all about like being around the box and like making box entries and dispossessing teams high up the field and stuff like that you'd associate that with like penalty getting you know so if it wasn't showing up in the xg it might show up in the non-joy xg and vice versa so yeah i think that's one of the things that non-joy xg does for me and it just allows me a very lazy way of like not having to to make any special effort to account for uh, penalties and stuff like that in the mod oh that's interesting yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how re- recently I sort of came to believe that, but I do think that it does make sense to me, and I think that's I think that's one of the things that's it's doing. Yeah, because when I looked at um, kind of what drives penalties, I found stuff that improved the penalty prediction um, in terms of things like number of dribbles and like penalty box touches and things like that. So like how often you're taking on a man and like how often you get into the box. But yeah. I didn't have a good way of predicting those things at all. 
So I, d- yeah. I don't I don't use that in the model. I just use right. kind of like previous penalties, which still showed up to be predictive, like on top of that, and then kind of just like how much XG they generate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes sense. That's that's quite a, a more lightweight way of doing it because otherwise you're basically trying to predict the rates at which they'll make box entries, the rates at which they're going to dribble, and then you're actually just like increasing your uh, your well, increasing your workload, but then you're increasing all the areas you could be wrong in as well by by quite a lot by by having to do that. So yeah, that makes sense to me why you do that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting that like non-shot XG should pick up, well, especially kind of like the penalty box touches part of it more so than the dribbles. But yes, that's super interesting. I did a little. I tried to look at it. I thought it was going to be like this really sort of sexy result um, a while ago about like how much non-shot XG, like uh, how to put it. How much additional non-shot XG was associated with uh, a penalty? You know, like an additional penalty for a team. So I basically tried yeah. to do a regression where you control for number of penalties awarded, and there was definitely like a, a pretty strong positive effect. But I can't remember what it is. I'll try and Google it while we're talking. But yeah, it wasn't. It, 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 I never really found a way of displaying it or talking about it that was um, that was very compelling. Okay, well, that, that's an idea I'm going to steal for my penalty modeling anyway. Yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah, I think I think it'd be good. I mean, I've never even tried a simple thing like just regressing penalties on non-shot XG because I've never really had any other, a data set which had any other nice variables in it like that where I've been interested in the problem, you know, like dribbles and stuff like that that you've you've talked about. So if you manage to join on non-shot XG to the stuff you've got, then yeah, I think you could probably get something pretty interesting. Yeah, that's cool. That's um, That's interesting. Um, what do you think will happen to to Brighton now Potter's gone? Just so we can look back and be embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, so here's my kind of like non-expert take on it is I remember that analytics were already excited about Brighton before Potter came. Um, like a little bit, a little while before Potter came in like Chris Hutton's last season or like season and a half because of the recruitment you know they they seem to they seem to be doing stuff like really like seem to be buying all these interesting players that were really kind of like popping on uh, analytics scouting and so i think that that is indicative of a forward thinking well run club already there and they kind of wear that right you know just to they they seemed to grow in a very stable way and stuff like that and they seemed to do uh, to do kind of like well they seemed to be well run as far as I could tell um, in the decisions that they made and the way that, uh, how well organised they were and stuff like that and then Potter came and he started playing the good players and obviously he brings with him like uh, experience of kind of like forward thinking uh, and like a very modern approach to like how clubs should be run and what sort of things are important to pay attention to Uh, and that that was like fabulously successful i don't think that brighton are necessarily the graham potter show and i would like to believe that they could continue to be a successful well-run club after he goes i think they're they're going to miss him a lot uh, should he go and i think you made the point that maybe his you know, like he might take his backroom team with him and stuff like that. And like nobody, nobody is able is able to kind of like seamlessly just 
um, be unaffected by losing a lot of key members of the the training staff. So yeah, I think they'll need to make some good appointments, but I kind of back them to do it. And I am not worried about Brighton particularly, but tell me I'm wrong. No, I I broadly agree. I think it was Ben Sutton who made the point in the chat that uh, the points on the board kind of like give them quite a lot more freedom uh, because they've already got 13 points on the board. The the risk of relegation, even if they kind of screw up this appointment, is pretty low. So they can they can kind of punt on like a high upside guy. I think there's talk of the kind of Bodo Glimt manager. I can't remember. I can't ma- actually. I can remember. I can't pronounce his name. So I'm just going to do Uh, And he's the kind of guy which doesn't have a lot of a track record in major leagues, but the work he's done in kind of like a league of lower quality, and he's done like some reasonable work in like cup competitions in Europe and stuff at at Bodo. Then he's the kind of guy who might be a really good manager, but you're kind of like you've got reasonable kind of like wide error bars on it, Hmm. and that's that's the kind of guy which I think you kind of have the freedom to like take a risk on, And, and that could go either way. And then they can just they can just bail out in the summer if it goes badly and and kind of reset in the summer manager market and go well let's uh, let's have a look when we've got some more options. So from how they're going to look could go either way this season because I think if I was them and I was kind of looking at it, it's the kind of gamble I would use these points on the board to try to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair. But who knows? Who yeah. knows what they'll do. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, but and I, I sort of back them to make a good appointment. And yeah, I mean, Potter came from Ostersons, didn't he? So they've probably like, you know, I, I'm sure that they won't be. I mean, okay, he's English and he was like, you know, there was articles being written about him in like English media and stuff like that. Did he come straight from there or did he manage a team for a little while in the championship? Yeah, he had a season at Swansea and they ah, had right. um, fabulous expected goal numbers and got kind of footballed and the league position wasn't as impressive and obviously um they kind of saw he could translate to english football in the championship yeah so it's a bit a bit a bit lower risk i would say for a bit yeah yeah okay cool hi yeah we could talk about the implications of the brighton postponement as well but maybe that's a little bit that we could do that later on strategy and stuff if you want to talk about some more teams just now and the model stuff yeah who, who else is interesting uh, well, I mean, I expect that I'm a little bit slow on Newcastle. Um, so, you know, if we're if we're divergent there, I don't know how much of interest there is to say apart from just how good are Newcastle. And they're probably have a decent shout at being the seventh best team in the league, you know, or, you know, I, well, I have Brighton pretty, uh, Brighton and United is pretty clearly like sixth and seventh, but Newcastle probably shouldn't be far off next or if you maybe even rate them as good as Brighton or better I don't know yeah I think I I think I have Newcastle better than Brighton yeah Newcastle was one we really disagreed on at the start so I think they were maybe the one that we disagreed on most at the start of the season kind of being better in mine yeah so for the listeners the the thing that's driving that is basically like I try to incorporate uh like spread market predictions in between seasons uh, obviously, the markets had them rated pretty highly coming in. Um, I think without that, I had them because I looked at what the ratings would have been if I didn't incorporate the spreads. I think without that, I had them slightly higher towards the end of the season. Uh, but yep. then the spreads are doing like most of the lifting. Yeah. But even given that, they're still the most improved team in my model. 
Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. And so I think the how good a Newcastle question is not whether they're the seventh best team, but whether they're better. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, see, I expect that I'm lagging here, and I've got them very much in the pack of teams behind those which are around about the sort of median team in the Premier League, you know, like your West Ham's, Brentford's, Crystal Palace and stuff like that. Like, I, I, I I would bet that they are better than that because my model, unlike yours, is just waiting to observe on-field information. And also, my model doesn't like Newcastle historically. I think there there are teams that seem to do a little bit better than others in terms of the things that like the model values. And Newcastle are probably the team that I've been most wrong about in terms of the points that they've accrued versus the points I expected them to uh, over the course of the time that I've ran ran the model. Um, so like I'm not surprised to just be perennially under on them, but I do think for real reasons at the moment they just haven't caught up to they're at the actual on-field strength that their talent they're able to put out. But yeah, I mean, better than Brighton. Poof. Yeah, I maybe mean, they are. They're, they're moving pretty quickly in your model. I would say yeah. that it's it's not like it's not like your model is being stubborn about it. No, right? Yeah, yeah. They they they're the most improved team in my model, which you would kind of hope that they would be if we if I thought they were under and you know and and by a decent amount. So yeah, I think in terms of points that i expected them to win over the course of the season they're only four points up but i don't know what their results have been like they've won one game yeah and and drawn a lot being quite unlucky yeah so the results haven't been great but they're still up four points in my model on like where where i thought they'd get so yeah it's definitely moving on them the interesting thing that i tweeted out after the first round of games was they put up a non-shot expected goals sum against Nottingham Forest at home in the first game, which would which would have been something like the seventh biggest non-shot expected goals of any team from all of last season. And all of those that all the teams that did that were either Man City or Liverpool. You know, so it yeah. was it, it was kind of both from the point of view of like, wow, that's really impressive, and also. How bad are Nottingham Forest? <laughs> but yeah, like uh, definitely seeing stuff in the numbers about Newcastle, which is yeah, given given real cause for opt- optimism. They absolutely crushed Crystal Palace at the weekend there, and what was it? Nil, nil. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, no, that no. Was, yeah, and, that, they crushed them. Yeah, and they did the same to Wolves a couple of weeks before. Right. Yeah, and weren't too far behind away at Liverpool. I mean, maybe maybe Liverpool. Um, its rating is is too high, but I'm I'm not convinced on that. I think they're an interesting team to talk about. Yeah, well, I mean, the Champions League game tonight is is not going well. Is it? It was two 0 when I saw it. Oh, three 0 at halftime to when I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. The XG was um was re- it was just as bad or worse. Yeah. It was. I mean, there was two penalties in there still, but they um it wasn't it wasn't pretty. Yeah, they're four one down at the moment as we speak. So yeah, what is what does your model make of Liverpool, and and do you think it's missing something? Do you think it's yeah not? So they are basically staying still in the model as the second best team in the league by a long way, clear of any uh, like rivals. You know, I don't have Spurs yeah. at, at all close. 
so yeah, that's the, that's like the headline. There's like trace levels of um, movement, a uh, little bit worse in defence, and attack. If anything, looks a little bit better. But a lot of that's coming from the Bournemouth game. But okay, they did that in the game, so you know, uh, still 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 counts. So yeah, that like that would be the the very kind of withdrawn sober stats he take is that i don't see like anything to be concerned about obviously the results haven't been what they expect right um they've dropped points like most weeks um or nearly and there's been like all the games have been tight for a long time that was something i was thinking before this is um how much game state might be flattering the numbers. Yeah. Just something to be aware of, you know, because the, okay, so the converse is that casual commentators would be worrying about Liverpool and, ah, oh, something's not right. You know, they just don't look right. And it's often that can just be because the ball isn't uh, going in the net or it, or it is when it's not supposed to. But I don't necessarily share that view, but that's what everyone would be saying and then okay they're they're getting hammered away to napoli tonight so it's you know if you're trying to be very fair to that idea that you can see problems with them on the park and okay they've had injuries and like especially their midfield with milner and henderson and stuff like that looks looks problematic you might say that because the games have been tight they've had to keep putting up xg they've had to keep creating chances because they've not been comfortable and they've never been able to coast and that might be flattering them in the numbers a little bit more than the performances actually deserve so that would be the kind of way to swing it if you wanted to say maybe there is room for them actually being a little bit worse because game states they've spent a lot of time level or behind relative to what they normally do uh, I can try and pull some numbers on it, but yeah, it's like really unusual in terms of uh, what we'd normally expect from Liverpool in terms of how much time they've been in those game states where they've been having to chase. What do you think? Yeah, that's interesting. I I would make the game state argument almost the other way. So just I'm just kind of looking at like the kind of like match by match like breakdown of how the rating is moved uh, for Liverpool and I have them like you kind of overall I've got them making like a a very marginal like shift downwards but like really well within the bounds of noise you should treat it as basically level Um, and like you still comfortably the the second best team about half half a goal ahead of Spurs for me and and I know we disagree on Spurs rating rather than Liverpool's so much yeah well I think we disagree a little bit on Liverpool's but that's kind of reflecting where it was at the start of the season. But they've lost rating in five out of the six games. Right. I.e. every everyone apart from the Bournemouth game. Right. And I do wonder if Game State played like a big part in that, because obviously they went up like early against Bournemouth and they were like 2-0 up after six minutes and like 3-0 up within half an hour. And it, and it could well be that Bournemouth just kind of stopped playing. Yeah. It does actually seem like that uh, when I look at it from the... I, I was thinking about that when I was talking as well, but I think I agree with you. I think that's a good point. It does seem... I'm just trying to... I'm just looking at it on understat, and all their... Well, almost all of their uh, like positive XG differences come from when they've been more than one goal up. And I think that only... I think that only happened in the 
<laughs> in the Bournemouth game. I don't think they've been more than one goal up. Uh, maybe for a little while against Newcastle. I can't remember how that game went. No, they came from behind, did they? Um, yeah, they came, came from behind. So, yeah, that's actually the, that's literally the only game where that's happened. And they've got like plus five XG from there. Uh, XG difference, you know. And then maybe they've gone about plus two over, or two and a half over the whole rest of all their other games, uh, which is, you know, five other games uh so if they're going like plus two over five that's like plus 0.4 xg difference per game excluding the bournemouth game which you can't do but you know what i mean and that is that's like just missing out on champions league type level yeah i i think i still probably come down on they're probably fine i think i would expect them to be a bit less stratospheric than they have been though yeah I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in a season where they just aren't in touch with Man City. You know what I mean? At, at, at Christmas. Yeah. Because I think those dynamics have kind of, it keeps the air in the balloon a bit, you know, and, and both the teams are sort of uh, forcing higher levels out of the other one. But if that's not the case, uh, they could just end up in like a Champions League race. You know, uh, you know, are like, you know, just kind of like relatively in the end, comfortably getting second, but like way off city. I could easily see that happening. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the worlds where they're in like a real Champions League race, I could see happening. It would require them to be, I think, a bit worse than the models expect them to be or for them to like drop quite a few more points through bad luck. Yeah. But I mean, Arsenal have got a six point start on them. Spurs have got a five-point start on them. So even if those teams are, like, are actually a bit worse, then it's, it's getting to the point where that would be quite a lot worse. And right now, the model still thinks, yeah, like Liverpool will be the favourites for second and like very much the favourites for, for Champions League, kind of like over 90%. Yeah. But the, the worlds of like Liverpool being a bit worse than the model currently thinks they are, a couple more bad results and or one of Chelsea and Manchester United getting better or, or getting like some some lucky wins and it's possible yeah yeah I mean I've got them at like 95% for Champions League I see in my recent numbers and you know I would I don't think I would bet on them at around about that value I think you've got to allow for a bit more things to go wrong and stuff like that than what my my model will be doing but yeah, it's pretty. It's still pretty overwhelming, uh, despite the start, in terms of results and performances. I've got them ninety three, pretty much agreeing. But like in those worlds where some of those worlds are pretty close, so you can. It's just taking the percentage they actually finish in top four. The percentage chance that they are in a top four race and then make it mm-hmm. uh, makes up like some proportion of that, even with the current expectations. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Who are you going to chuck me? What about a difficult team like Nottingham Forest? But they're bad. <laughs> yeah, but like... <laughs> they're really bad. Well, that okay, so there's two questions then. How bad are they based on demonstrated observed evidence relative to some benchmark that, you know, like compare them to other teams maybe or whatever you can, you, you can manage? And then... How much should we expect the model to be failing to capture their um, likely 
strength given the amount of people they've signed? Um, okay, I, I'll go with the first one first because it's easier. Just taking the kind of like schedule adjusted non pen XG for these six games, Nottingham Forest have been the worst team in the league. Mm-hmm. Bournemouth have been marginally better by a goal difference, although their attack has been non existent. And then there's like a pretty sizable gap to Villa and then a pretty sizable gap up to, actually to Fulham, who we might want to talk about later. Oh, yeah. But yeah, Forest have not been good in these six games. Like, really not good. I know you had them very low coming into the season. And yeah. I think they've got worse in your model from that. Uh, they have. Yeah. Another, they're the second most kind of like like worsening team in my model so right. far this season. Yeah. That that's one where my model is kind of like catching up to yours in that sense. Yeah, they, they've they've really not been good. Their defense is just well the, <laughs> what defense? It's just so far behind everyone else in the league on these six games. Yeah. And a very unimpressive start. Uh how do we think it's going to change with the signings? I It's a good question. I think some of the signings look fine. Some of them look not great. Like it's a real mixed bag. Um, I know they had a lot of um, had a lot of players leaving and a lot of players on loan at the end of last year. So when they came up, they had a, a very very thin squad. Um, I think maybe they only retained like seven or eight players or whatever from the kind of championship promotion squad. Right. In saying that, twenty one is a lot. Even if you have your seven, that's a squad size of 28. And it's it's really mixed. I am not convinced that like the players that they've paid big money for, Gibbs White, Awani, and Neko Williams, are worth the money. I'm not convinced that players like Harry Toffolo, uh, Cheku Kiate are Premier League players. And I really do wonder, like, having that many new faces and, and a continual stream of new faces as well. It's not like you had kind of 21 players and then you did your preseason. Um, and now you're into a time where you've got a lot less kind of training time on the pitch. You, like, you play at the weekend, you have a recovery day, and then you, you don't just have time to work on ideas solely because you've also got to kind of implement, like, opposition match plans and all this. So the amount of, like bedding in time that you get within season even when you're not in Europe is like significantly reduced and I just I just don't I just don't see them surviving yeah I mean I think I heard people like there's maybe a belief that the there's quite a weak crop of teams at the bottom of the league this year and like my sort of feeling coming into the season is that obviously like trying to measure these things over time is pretty much a moot point you know it's that there's it's a pointless argument but uh, let's say compared to last year i think it's it's quite a lot stronger the league you know where where we whereas we had norwich and who were the other team that sort of went down hopelessly last season uh watford yeah like i don't see necessarily teams that are that bad if there's one on paper at the moment i think it is forest but the obviously a short coming of our models and i mean you okay you you put spreads in over the summer but that was actually before probably a lot of the you know any movement might have been captured uh, or, or you tell me in terms of the summer sign-ins no that's right they 
you know, we, we should expect to be too low on them. So it's an interesting question, you know, and people like the people uh, who are like replying or retweeting to my team ratings are like, hey, Forrest spent all that money and they're still the worst team. And, you know, I wouldn't really necessarily, I wouldn't say that with confidence based on the model because it's only going to go on uh, what it's seen. But yeah, what it's seen has been has been pretty bad. Um, they've had a tough schedule and stuff like that. Um, playing uh, like at Etihad and playing Spurs and stuff but um, yeah they, they kind of got they, you can't really lose at home to Bournemouth either I don't think uh, even if they, no. they played fine you know you, you can't you just you can't really afford to do that and I just on the spreads now I just looking it up when you were kind of looking so obviously the spreads now do account for the kind of new signings yeah market expectation is that they finish 19th right uh, kind of like mid midpoint of their spreads is like 34.25 right which is four and a half points lower than 18th that's come down a, 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 a about two or three points since the start of the season as well and okay they've averaged less than one point a game but yeah that's that's it's not looking good for for forest I, I don't think yeah i agree the team in 18th on the spreads i think is actually interesting because another one where our models disagree yeah Leicester. Yeah, I I wouldn't mind talking about Leicester. Well, in fact, one thing I wanted to say about Forest as well, like just before we move on, on. they had, it was a wild uh, promotion season as well, wasn't it? They were. Uh, I think it's just this perfect storm of a team that's going to be really hard to gauge. You know how good they are because they got um, they they started the season with a, like abysmally in the championship. Yeah, like six losses, I think. Yeah, and then they went on an absolutely insane run of results um, that is, you know, you just can't sort of fail to be excited by if you're someone who's like following the club and you're thinking about their prospects. You know, you just see your team winning all the time. My model is much, it is very, very sober and uh, skeptical when it comes to like weight of evidence and what it observes. And so when, by the time Forrest came up, they had, played their way into being what it considered to be something like a kind of top six championship team you know not not a team that you'd expect to stay up in the league um, but I, I get that for some people they would look like the best team that was getting promoted because of just how how uh, on fire they were you know uh, for for long enough coming into the year uh, and i guess that is one of those areas that which can play into like i guess like the like a, a f- weakness in humans ability to like objectively measure how good that is although it is just objectively difficult uh, and then they've had all this like massive squad turnover and stuff like that so it will it, I, I find them a, a really fun uh, team to to think about how good they could be because yeah, I'm like prepared to be wrong about them, but so far, yeah, not so good. Yeah, I'll I'll be interested to check in in ten games on Forest. Anyway, yeah, Leicester, give me um, give me your takes on Leicester. This is time for your victory lap. Yeah, so um, my view on Leicester is that um, as last season went on, the it, it, the model became like less and less impressed by their level of performance. And I think they were impacted by a lot of injuries and uh, things, like, especially in defense and things like that. And like some of their decent young players and stuff, they, they had a lot of bad luck and fair enough. 
But coming into the season, you know, my the, the model's not gonna is not gonna give them points for for that. It just goes on observed evidence. So I was pretty low on them. I think I probably had them, you know, as a sort of team that could get dragged into a relegation fight. Is is how I'd put it. You know, they weren't like one of the bottom two or three teams or anything like that, but they weren't far off. They're, they're you know, I see them as a as a weak team uh, in attack and defence. And then it's just so happened that they've like come out and been really bad, and also probably gotten like fewer points than they should have. Okay, so last year I think they were probably the team that most outperformed their points to expected points right they they really flattered to deceive a lot in the results and i think that alert fans were very aware of that as well they just put up a load of points early and uh, didn't really weren't good for them at all and then the performances went to shit in the second half of the season it seems odd because you can kind of talk about their first team and it sounds quite good but for whatever reason, it has not been a team that's been able to string together good performances in the eyes of my model for quite a while. Maybe they've not been getting penalties. Maybe they've been getting lots of penalties against them. Maybe their non-shot XG isn't good in ways that you know doesn't really matter for ultimate XG and stuff like that. But yeah, I see them as being like a poor team that are in a bit of trouble and... Um, where do I? I just want to see my latest numbers. I, I have them as like the second most likely team to get relegated, which again I probably like wouldn't put, wouldn't put money on. But I've got them at over forty percent um, to, to to get relegated based on like projected uh, outcomes. It basically assumes that the the, the current team rating is right and it's going to stay right. And the noisiness in the simulations comes from football uh you know results shit happens um but yeah yeah but there there isn't actually noise in terms of thinking that this view that i have of their strength is going to change over time Uh, i'll I'll try and integrate that into my projections later on the season but at the moment it's mostly just yeah i think they're one of like the worst six teams and they've only got one point so uh, i i see them as being like unlikely to be relegated but there's there's only one team which is more likely. So yeah, how, how about you? What do, what do you think about them? Yeah, Leicester I think is is one of the most interesting teams because there's there's a lot going on here because our our models do not see Leicester the same way. So like I'm, I think there must be something to do with the kind of input data and how the different like models see them. Yeah. So just looking at like last year's numbers on on the kind of FBRF numbers there. Non-pen XG difference last year was like minus 0.13. Uh, per game. Yeah, which is kind of like fine, like mid, mid-table stuff. Ah, like median thing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like like a bit bit worse than the, like, yeah, median team, a bit worse than the kind of mean team. Yeah. Uh, they did have, they got like minus seven penalty difference. But even that, when you put it together, they were like, like 12. On just like with the pens included on on the stats bomb numbers. Okay. So they weren't like in that kind of bottom tier, and then like in my model at the end of last year, I've just got up like the um, kind of end of season team ratings. Like I had them actually like kind of like tenth or something. So like very kind of like much not seeing them the same way your model was seeing them. Mm-hmm. 
had them eighth actually. Jesus. Um, on my end of season three <laughs> meetings. So, so the they were one of the ones where like spreads really didn't move them from my rating. It's that's not the thing which is driving why our model saw them differently. Because mm-hmm. if I put in like the kind of uh, like no spreads included and the only spreads included, basically my model saw them basically exactly how the market did at the start of the season. Okay. Pretty much to a T, like 0.01 difference in rating on both attack and defense, but like in the same direction. So the goal difference exactly the same. They have gone down in these six games. I was going to ask, yeah, how's it looking so far? Yeah, they've they've gone down by like around point, point 0.1-ish, which I think is like a little bit less than yours, but it's not... It's not like crashing in at like a rate of knots. There's been like a small, small like move towards where you had them essentially. Yeah. And then like I'm I'm just really confused because I'm looking at like even these six games, just taking the kind of like again the schedule adjusted non pan xg that they're, they're like minus point two and like thirteenth. Yep. Like better than Palace. Seems fine. I I was I was going to talk about Palace. Palace have been kind of weird, weirdly bad. Yeah. So I do think Leicester, like, they have a decent chance of relegation. Um, I agree. I don't have it as high as 40%. I had them at, like, 25 But most of that's just coming from the fact that they're now essentially playing a 32-game season. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've got one point. Yeah, I mean, it could. it's interesting to think about because, obviously, the model, like, we're using a similar method, right? You kind of make predictions based on the, the current view of a team's strength, then you adjust the uh, what the rating should be based on what you observe in a given match. So it stands to reason that it's actually the data that we are using which is causing the difference. You know, and maybe if you've got differences in other teams, that can kind of compound sometimes. You know, and they can kind of knock butt against one another a little bit. But to be so different on a team, well, I suppose it's definitely the steep part of the slope, isn't it? Like those teams that are between 8th and 15th, it's just pure soup. You know, like you can you can go from one team to another, like like from the top of that to the bottom and like not much uh, difference in expected goal difference per match at all. But yeah, like maybe they're bad on some stats. That, like, so I get my data from... 538 because it's easy i don't even know what the xg model they use is but i think it's proprietary because i've never seen the numbers line up with any other source that i've checked exactly yeah i think it's their own yeah yeah so it's probably like some wild uh, and simple xg model i mean the numbers are available very quickly uh, after the matches i wonder if there's anything going on with the kind of non-shot xg well i'm looking at that now and I can tell you that this season, they've got just about the worst non-shot XG difference in the league. But there's, oh. one, there's one, two, three, four, five, sort of six teams that are pretty similar, similarly bad. Uh, so that, you know, the, it, even though it's just about the worst, they might only be 15th, you know what I mean? But it's, it is pretty bad. Uh, and I don't know what their schedule has been like. I guess it's been hard, has it? Yeah, although... Uh, one thing which will be kind of inflating the the kind of like these six games scheduled non pan XG is they played against uh, Chelsea who had ten men for most of the game. Yeah, 
So that should have been good. That was one of the only games this season where they, they, they improved in rating in the model because, again, the model is, is just naive to things like red cards. I, I don't I don't allow for them. Uh, it's too much work. So they, it looked like they put in a good shift against Chelsea, even though they actually ended up getting beat by 10 men because they obviously got the, the, the better chances and stuff uh, overall or and like some nice non-choice G. So yeah, maybe the fact, even though they were playing at Stamford Bridge, they actually played against 10 men, so they put up some decent numbers. So yeah, I guess non-choice G might be an area where they're really sucking. And that sort of sounds about right, right? You know, like yeah. Madison pinging in free kicks and shots from outside the box and like Vardy just kind of like suddenly coming alive and getting one on the counter and stuff like that and uh but them not really actually being a functional attacking team apart from that it kind of it sort of seems believable yeah that's quite interesting and if if that if that is predictive then um then we should see my model continue to kind of collapse on them a bit harder mm-hmm. it'd be interesting i mean it looks like roger's gonna get sacked right that's the rumor for sure I think it sounds like it's going to be expensive. You know, I imagine if it wasn't, they, they might have done it already as well, uh, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, really, it's really interesting just how like similar methods that are trying to do the same thing. And obviously, we become very influenced by what we see in our models, and it becomes a like you know, kind of our version of the the truth of the story of what's happening in the league. And like my story about Leicester is really different to your story about them, which is yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of one of the reasons I've been um, trying to look at your model and like where the teams differ, mm-hmm. just so I don't get like too drunk on my team ratings. Yeah, I think that's a, a very smart idea, just to get some other source, you know. Um, so yeah, I like it. I we've been talking about this for a while, but it's quite fun. What what do you think about um, Fulham? Because I imagine we might be different there, are we, or are we similar? We are different on Fulham. Yeah, we are quite different on Fulham. Pretty much because of spread markets. Right. So the kind of like the rating I would have had if I didn't have spreads pretty much exactly matches yours. Aye. Okay. Uh, like marginally worse coming into the season. Yeah. Uh, but like, again, it's like 0.03. It's like, fuck all really. With the spreads mixed in, they were one of the teams of like quite high disagreement. Mm. I don't really have them shifting much from where they started at the start of the season they've mm. kind of like basically played to those expectations uh they've improved a little bit in attack again like 0.03 but that's mostly coming from finishing i think yeah so if i just look at like the kind of like non-penalty expected component they're they're flat completely flat right yeah yeah so i mean well they've got mitrovic who's uh known to be an amazing finisher right <laughs> yeah famous for it <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting the spreads yeah i mean spreads are are more skeptical about promoted teams i think you i i'm interested about whether that's um actually what do you call it well you know when there's like a kind of opportunity in a market a sort of inefficiency or if it is just one of those things where people tend to be right that promoted teams are are not as good as we think they are. Because I feel like with things like Wolves' first season, Leeds' first season, uh, you know, like the model has actually been more right than, like less surprised than the punters about how good these teams are. 
So I was kind of feeling quite bullish about the, my Fulham prediction coming into the year as well, thinking, yeah, they are actually legit. They're going to be really good. Yeah, I'd have to look at it. I think it's very easy to remember the ones you got right. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's right. Uh, but I, yeah, I would be interested. I've got like my kind of like start of season projections going back a few seasons. But even the way we treat promoted teams is a little bit different, isn't it? So like, yeah. y- yours kind of like is you have like all the teams rated in one kind of rating system, right? Right. And that just kind of carries through. So like basically like all of their championship performance is getting credited in that rating. Yeah. And I mean, even though there's no real cross-pollination within a year, you get some mixture, you know, with the teams going up and the teams going down, which just helps, you know, it helps to sort of keep things hopefully at like a nice level between the two divisions. But yeah, there, it's, it, I think it's good and bad, uh, that approach. Yeah, what, what do you do? Uh, I, I basically regressed how championship performance has turned into the next season's Premier League performance. Just looking at like expected goals, basically, but well, a non-pen as always with me. So kind of like yeah, looking at how it's translated. But it, uh, what it does is it allows because there's a constant in that regression. It basically it doesn't credit all of the championship performances. It, it puts kind of like some weight on like this is a championship team and some weight on the championship numbers because okay. it's not it's not not just coefficient of one, and it gives more weight in attack than defense. Okay just based on the relationships that is kind of like observed. But what, what I find interesting is even taking those kind of like different approaches, we ended up at basically the same answers yeah. for Fulham before spreads. Yeah, I think that is interesting. And I, I would say from in my model, they're coming, they are getting worse this year, but mainly all from the Spurs game at the weekend because Spurs kind of squished them. I was probably a bit like lower on Spurs than I should have been and maybe a bit higher on Fulham than I should have been. So it seemed like a more surprising result to the model than uh, it would have to you. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a really nice um, nice numbers from Spurs there at the weekend, actually. Yeah, was, yeah, they, they did squish them, didn't they? Yeah. So, yeah, I now have like Fulham and Bournemouth as being two of the teams who have actually lost some of the most rating in the year which obviously is sort of an indication that i was overrating the championship teams you know er- early evidence i was overrating the championship teams a little bit which very very willing to believe based on how much of an outlier i seem to be on on those teams yeah i wonder like just kind of thinking about it how the kind of relative strength of the premier league to the championship like changes over time as the yeah. Premier League becomes like more and more the kind of like dominant league in Europe. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 bound to increase, and I'm not convinced that'll be getting captured well in the the naive kind of approach I'm taking. I think you. I mean, how would you capture it though? You just need to. It's you just get such little data on it, uh, and it's so flawed because the team that plays in the championship isn't the team that plays in the Premier League, and the team that plays in the Premier League isn't the team that plays in the championship when they get relegated. You know? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So much squad turnover, um, both directions. So, you, you, I think you do want to take into account um, the mon- like, Let's say for some reason that you want to make a model which doesn't use market opinion, uh, which I'm kind of doing in a sort of devil's advocate way now you would you'd, you'd want to take into account change in in transfer value you know of the squad and i think at least 
Um, and I think we would see a growing discrepancy between Premier League teams and Championship teams now. Even though some of that money makes its way down, it's still disproportionate. Yeah, and I guess some of it makes its way down what through parachute payments and also the, the relegated teams should be better. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, if they don't dominate the championship, even though you get some squad turnover... That says something. That, that, should, that, that should kind of feed through in your model then. It should. It should. But I, I can see why it might... Well, maybe all models would struggle if there was a sharp change in, in that relationship. So Yeah. I, I think, to be honest, even markets do. Because <laughs> yeah. everyone's just fucking guessing anyway. Aye. Aye. Uh, is there anyone else you want to discuss that you think is interesting? Um... Well, I mean, people might want to talk about Man United or Arsenal or something like that. Do you see anything happening at Man United in the numbers? Not over the six games, but kind of applying my like football lens. Um, I do think that it's a little bit interesting, yeah. So I have them like marginally getting worse from kind of preseason expectations. And I think I had them quite a bit higher than you, but... Uh, partly based on spreads and I had them like marginally higher without spreads and they've been they're getting like slightly worse but then just looking at like how that broke down they lost a lot of rating in the first two games yeah and in the four since they've recovered like most of that rating yeah i.e when they stopped telling De Gea to pass it short to players that were going to get immediately pressed <laughs> I know I just thought that was so cool that it was Brighton and Brentford that got to play uh, the De Gea passing out from the back version of Ten Hag's Man United this season, you know, because they're just the two teams that are going to like be aware of that as a thing and just punish you for it. So I, I just loved that that was the way that that panned out. Yeah. Just not, not from a point of view of like me having anything against Man United as a club in the way that you might. Um, like as a league mm-hmm. fan, but just in the way of them being a complacent, poorly ran club who are coming up against uh, two teams that are, you know, just like really overachieving uh, from like underdog positions and stuff like that by, by being smart and having smart managers and stuff. So, yeah, nice to see. Yeah. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm curious about them um, to kind of see where their level ends up at. I don't feel very confident in their rating either way yeah spreads have been over on them for years in a row but that's understandable uh even yeah just from the fact like they, they should be better than this so yeah yeah um i don't know i'm just you know we, we we're allowed to take up the position of saying well we're just going to go with what we're seeing and um or you know to whatever extent we do and i see them as about as good as as brighton you know decent chunk off of Arsenal, Chelsea and Tottenham and quite a long shot for Champions League. Uh, maybe something like one in six on Champions League. Again, if I was to bet, I would not I would want, I, I'd, I'd want an assumed probability of higher than that if I was going to bet against it. I think they've probably got a better chance than that. Yeah, I got them about 26 and like a good chunk ahead of Newcastle in seventh. But also like a a reasonable chunk behind Arsenal and Chelsea. Yeah. So it's like one in four of making Champions League. Five thirty eight is the same. But there are like I was like Betfair, I remember I was talking to someone about this the other day. They had them 
implied probability of like more more like 45% before you kind of take out the margin. So a, a bit lower than that, but like up there at a kind of pushing 50-50 sort of thing, you know, which is, I think is pretty interesting. Oof. Yeah, I'd happily lay that. Yeah, I, yeah, right. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think you can. Uh, no, maybe you can't actually. It was, uh, it was an outright. It was uh, just a betting on. Okay, betting on and not on the not on the exchange. Yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons I word is because I think Arsenal are good. Yeah, it's it's time to um, it's time to admit it, Simon. You've been in denial for two and a half years now, uh, and I've been trying to tell you this, and now, <laughs> now the chickens are coming <laughs> first. I've I've been saying they were good since they uh, got rid of Obama Young. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, I mean they've obviously improved uh, as time's gone on. Um, but yeah, like how I mean I've got them right up pretty much with Chelsea and Spurs, but I don't know if you see them as not as that quite that good. I have them right up with Chelsea, and we we disagree on how good Spurs are. Yeah. We, we, I think we pretty much agree on how good Arsenal are. Yeah. Uh, like about ha- half a goal, mm-hmm. plus be- a half better goal. than the mean, yeah, 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 plus a half. Whereas I've got like Spurs closer to three quarters, whereas you've got Spurs kind of similar level. Yeah, that, yeah, they're r- r- about plus point six now, but yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, but fun team. I think they're one of the big movers there in my model so far. Top three movers: Newcastle, Leeds, um, and Arsenal. Yeah, Leeds. I so I think the question is, how good are Arsenal? Because I suspect the model is doing some catching up, given they're like, I like the summer business and the performances on the pitch in the first six games have kind of like strengthened that prior. Yeah. And so I, I would I expect them to be better than what my model thought they would be at the start of the season. And again, our models pretty much agreed on them at the start of the Maybe season. Maybe they did. Yeah, yeah, they must have. Yeah, yeah. They were like they're pretty much bang on. Yeah. So yeah, like they're the same with me. That one of the most improved teams from like a pretty decent start. And um, yeah, I think I think they're really good. But you know, like Troy Deeney was saying on BBC Sport the other day that we should still consider Arsenal to be in the title race, even though they lost against uh, Man United at the weekend. And I think it's that sort of thing which is you know, like needs a bit of perspective, doesn't it? Like they won their first five games, which is really good because it's so many points and then they lost a game. Um, but like they're, they're technically in the title race if, if the race is, you know, started now. Um, but they don't really have a chance of, a sensible chance of winning the league, do they? No one has a chance of winning the league. No. No one does. There is no title race. There's, be- there's barely been a title race at the start of the season. Yeah. And then it was like it was like uh, almost three quarter city before a ball was kicked, and now it's like eighty something percent. I mean, yeah. it's just um, they're just way too good. It's not even interesting to talk about them. They're just way too good. Yeah. Leeds might be good. Possible. Yep. Possible. Model doesn't believe it yet, but it's moving like that and so let me indulge me in getting carried away for a second here sure. based on a tiny sample leads so far on the schedule adjusted non-penalty xg have been the sixth best team it's pretty good it's pretty good <laughs> um 
Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. might, we might, we might, we might be good. We're not going to be that good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I think uh, it's definitely been six encouraging games after, after what I thought was a very encouraging window. And, um, and I, and I, and I thought you saw improvements under Jesse Marsh in the last 12 games as well in the numbers. Yep. Maybe in the kind of like, yeah, the numbers that they had been putting up prior to him coming and then the numbers they put up afterwards. Um, I think my model saw them as like kind of like staying at the level that it now believed them to be at by the time Bielsa left type thing. Um, right, yeah. But yeah, they are the, one of the most improved teams in mine and improving on both sides of the ball in a kind of steady way. They might be, They might be fine. Let me check my probability for them to be relegated just to sort of bring a little bit of gloom to the uh to your kind of upbeat i think i think you're gonna bring joy i think you have them lower than me (laughs) right there we go then let me check it out leads oh yeah there's nothing you're definitely not getting relegated 13 percent or something like that is not not much at all there you go take it to the bank you're safe 16 on mine you heard it here first everybody 13 equals zero (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's a done deal Sweet. I think we're done with teams, aren't we? I think we should be. We've talked about nearly everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so why did you play FPL? What, what were you thinking? You, you had like a, a moment of clarity and 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 wisdom. Mm. Shared it, shared it in public, and then, <laughs> and then what happened? That's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I've just been somebody who moans about FPL for a long time, and. I think I'm someone who like needs to spend more energy than other people maybe or I don't you know that, that's like maybe my impression on the game in order to actually like enjoy it fully and and feel like I'm kind of giving it a good shot and having fun because when I there's a few years where I played it where I was just like really like spending loads of time on it just because I found it really really fun to think about and that's not been the case like for several years now, and it's been getting more and more and more detached and like more and more out of love with what it's like. Talked about it on Sir Tats, Paul. Don't, don't need to talk about it uh, here again. But yeah, so I thought, pretty sure like I'm not going to play. And in fact, I can really blame you quite, quite <laughs> for that because I, I was convinced and like speaking to flight friends and that they're like oh you're not really going to do it and i was like yeah i'm gonna yeah i'm not gonna play uh, and uh, i think that would have been the right thing for me to have done this year but it was there was the this stupid uh, mini league uh thing that you set up where we were going to get the the highest 64 applicants from the fpl researchers or like the fpl review elite uh, list of basically the people who are predicted to do the best in the following year based on demonstrated evidence which is like weighted performance of recent seasons and you know some amounts of like their uh, massive data rank and stuff like that and i thought well this is going to be the best the highest quality forward selected mini league that's ever been made it's going to be like a, a very cool thing to be part of. And, you know, sort of had it on reasonable authority that I was, uh, I would be a part of it if I was to play. So that honestly was 
I think the the thing that made me decide to play was this like vanity as like idea of the kind of prestige of taking part in this league of like very high caliber managers and like being involved in that kind of chat and just like yeah uh, maybe seeing how I did against them but alas you know like I <laughs> I was reflecting on the other day like the, the sort of decision that I made at the start of the season so I didn't make any drafts or that like I wasn't like someone who's engaged because I was genuinely planning on not playing so when it came to thinking about actually playing the game I, I didn't have very long to think about it and uh, you know, I was talking with um, my friend at Eleven of I a lot, and he, he was talking about playing the the bench boost in game week one. And I understood the sort of rationale behind it, and tried to do some sums to to, to work out like roughly how much EV it would probably lose, you know, on a in an average year. And I thought it was like a tolerable amount for the amount of kind of fun and interest that you you would get in return. And I realized the other day, like I'm. I'm making the game like <laughs> I'm trying to make a game which I don't find interesting, interesting for myself <laughs> <laughs> by like introducing these like weird constraints on how I need, <laughs> how I need to play it, and it's such a it's just such a backwards idea, and uh, you know I I already wasn't really very interested in the types of problems that you have to be interested in if you're someone like me who's going to enjoy playing FVL. I already wasn't interested in in, in in those getting in the weeds, and then this year the 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 conditions looked like they were going to be really uninteresting, and you know you you called that right when you saw the prices. I I didn't really see why that necessarily would have had to have been the case. But your instinct on it was was better than mine, and you know it's it's a really 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 um, uninteresting game for the for the last couple of months, and if, you know it's not really much of a skill game to speak of at the moment. I think if it was always like this, I, I don't think it could sustain a, an audience of people who play the game remotely seriously uh, in the in the way that a lot of us and, and our friends do. So. Yeah, I agree. It's been boring as fuck. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I do, I do regret playing. I would have respected myself more if I'd stuck with it. But you know, it's what I've done has been quite fun, and it hasn't cost me too much in the way of time invested and stuff like that. So, yeah. How do you feel about the like? I mean, you actually didn't go with the template team either. Not that it's something that you like. I would expect you to do anyway, necessarily. But there was a very pervasive template that was clearly visible from prior to game week one, um, which has ended up doing fabulously well. And you kind of went with quite an, uh, you know, a little bit more out on a limb with your structure and stuff like that. So, like, how about you? What's your approach been to the season? How have you been finding it? Uh, I've been playing, playing pretty light touch, like I said i would try to do on sertel's pod and yeah i i just kind of um i just decided to go with the like drunk on the model version and just kind of commit uh because i mean if if the model is saying it's fine and it's a bit different then that's kind of like two pluses and i i i don't really want to think about it the structure hasn't really hurt me i've kind of got to an eight mil mid now with saka anyway because uh, James got injured, so he went down, and then uh, sold Diaz, 
um, to upgrade Neto. And so I kind of like, I've ended up on a slightly more conventional structure. Yeah, sounds like it, yeah. And kind of like conventional, not exactly on the template, but kind of like um, slightly less wacky. Like I've lost one depth piece after Bailey collapsed and like I only have 12 starters now rather than 13. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've got that kind of like mid-price mid-back end. So structurally I've kind of like edge towards the norm just as like the way it's gone but it's still pretty dull yeah i think the the only interesting thing is captaincy at the moment yeah and that's just how much you um well it's 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 back to this like age-old question that we often have is like how quickly do you update your beliefs and so i think for salah we can see basically he looks pretty much the same as always there's a lot of like narrative going around, but I think a lot of that is from the end of last year where he just had poor finishing. The numbers this year like look well within like normal bounds. The the one where like some belief updating is being forced is is Haaland. Yeah. Who's had like five hundred stratospheric minutes, like just stupid minutes. And the question is, is like, how much do you wait those five hundred minutes? Yeah. So I mean it is like one of those things that is a difference, I think, in the model users and the people that tend to rely on like watching games or maybe just like looking at results or, you know, looking at stats and stuff like that, rather than like trying to feed them into some algorithm which actually weights how much we should care about new information. I remember a few pre seasons ago and I'm not gonna sort of name like names or anything like that. I'm not just trying to disparage anyone at all. It's like someone that I respect as a really good FEL player and someone who's like a really sober uh, judge of like players and stuff like that. There was a player who had just signed for a team and it was the first preseason friendly and it was half time in the first preseason friendly and this person was watching the game and he said, Okay, look folks, this is what we, it looks like we're gonna pick this player this season. Um, I was like, wow, you know, like, do, I can't even imagine, <laughs> like, to a uh, conclusion about someone in that short a space of time. But maybe if you are someone who actually really backs your ability to, like, watch games and interpret, like, teams' shape and how players are involved and stuff like that, that becomes, like, a more realistic prospect but for me that's not a realistic prospect at all you know i want to see you know i want to see 10 games really and obviously i'm not going to like do nothing while i'm waiting on the 10th game coming i'm going to be updating constantly from a a prior belief but still so the the stuff that we're seeing with Haaland and Salah now is really interesting because people like the new guy, right? And that goes in like all walks of life. That goes for like the media and um, just the way that we're conditioned. It's kind of like an exciting new like storyline and stuff. So people want to like uh, Haaland and they want to like Nunez and they don't want to like Salah anymore because that's boring. And so like that's already like a thing which is out there. And then, obviously, Haaland happens to be like an amazing sort of generational talent. And then you put him on a team where he can be the focal point of a team that's like outrageously good at uh, creating attack. That that seems like a, a really sort of delicious idea. 
and he has ended up playing more minutes than what a lot of people in our kind of group of friends wondered that he might and there was like good reasons i think to to have a bit of doubt about the minutes because okay so one it's like pep deep squad two apparently there's quite a lot of like rumor that it was a condition of one of the things that he liked about man city is that they weren't going to drive him into the ground playing three nineties in eight days and then you've got the fact that he's like new to the league and you've got the fact that he's injury prone so obviously he's like has a bit of a reputation for like uh getting muscle injuries and stuff like that like having time out and he hasn't had any of that yet he's been like totally healthy so we're getting this view of him which is here's a guy who's going to start every week for the uh, you know as the center forward for the best attacking team in the world and he's like unbelievably good at finding space and getting shots and finishing chances like at above average rates so you know it's just like really really yeah, and for for a lot of people that's like more than enough that's way more you know they were at game week 3 or 4 they were like Okay, that that's this is it, and the, and probably this is the same people that were saying after the charity shield, something's wrong. You know, he, he, he they they didn't look right. He didn't fit. You know, and so the, this is people who are like more willing to put faith in what I would call like smaller amounts of uh, evidence, but maybe they've got like good reason to do it like, based on their value system and stuff like that, like how how they how they judge players and stuff. So there's a narrative which has been undergoing the last few weeks, which is like kind of disbelief that there would be some people who would still be captaining Salah. And the outcomes have always landed uh, so far on the side of, for the the last two or three weeks, of the people who have captained uh, Holland have done a lot better. So it's... (laughs) <laughs> it's quite spicy um, because it makes you sort of like challenge your stance and it makes you kind of go, okay, well, like, what is, uh, am I like just being uh, blinkered here? Like, are my prior beliefs getting in the way? Or is my sort of like method sound, which is, we uh, like, you might believe it's, you've been able to demonstrate that it's sound uh, like uh, on a lot of occasions before. Is it still sound in these circumstances? Should I actually be captain in Holland in a bad fixture against Spurs uh, this weekend rather than captain in Salah in a pretty decent fixture against Everton or whoever he's got? No, it can't be Everton, but whoever they've got at the weekend. And yeah, uh, like a lot of people are getting memed and uh, it's rough out there. So quite quite a sort of fun one with the way it's broke, if if that's your idea of fun, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic, like question to take seriously about. Okay, how how much should we be considering like perma capping Haaland and you know like how we re- how we respond to evidence? So yeah, how how are you feeling about like this weekend? I put it that way. Like, where are you as it stands? And we've actually had the benefit of seeing Champions League games this midweek, where Haaland happened to score two and Liverpool happened to get beat four one. I'm gonna be a stubborn old get and captain Salah again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, Haaland is obviously very, very, very good. I think the the kind of argument that goes. Okay, well, he 
put up like great numbers at Dortmund and he did and he's gone to Man City and you can see from these 500 minutes that he's clearly going to be so much better at Man City. I just struggle with a little bit in that if you think that his kind of output so far is representative of what he's going to do going forward, mm-hmm. you're, you're saying he's like about 50% better than either of Messi or Ronaldo's best seasons. Right. Which I, I just don't find that credible. Like, I mean, like you can be a generational talent and maybe this season uh, he like, he's run, he's been running hot even for him as well. It's, it's worth noting like on, on the finishing. Yeah. And so it's like, he may be a better like FPL asset in general than Salah. I'm, I can accept that. But this week, it's like Wolves and Spurs, right? respectively, for like Salah and Holland. So obviously, one of them is like a significantly better fixture than the other. Salah's pretty much always nailed for 90s. Haaland is kind of like nailed for 90s unless City are cruising. Uh, and then he gets taken off. So obviously, that means like in a bunch of those situations, he's returned. But it also does obviously cap uh, cap the upside somewhat, which is like... What you're looking for if he comes off at like 2-0 and he scored two and he doesn't get the chance to get his hat trick like you pretty much know Salah well um in similar scenarios so that like is still like a point in Salah's favor on the minutes and uh, I think like Trout like said it very eloquently is like unless you have like a demonstrated ability to like outperform the markets in which case congratulations on being very fucking rich then like there's no reason to let your kind of like intuition trick yourself into thinking that you're right and the markets are wrong. Yeah. Just leave all the kind of XG bollocks to the side, right? Uh, Because the markets will be taking into account the fact that he's a city, the fact that like the games have gone how they've gone and like we'll have people watching the games like influencing those markets. So they'll like, they'll incorporate all of that information. And so, and so like, by captaining Harlan, you're 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 making a bet on the markets, and if you're that confident in it, like go make bank. And what what about like sort of the the sort of momentum aspect, though? You know, um, basically like the the fact that he's putting up one and a half xG a game, and he's just like scoring one and a half goals a game. You know, does that? I th- I think for a lot of people that play FPL, and I'm not necessarily talking about a lot of the serious managers that might come, you know, that might be on Twitter and uh, interested enough in FPL to to like, do that sort of stuff. But a lot of the 10 million people that play FPL, that's way more than enough evidence, you know, to say that. And you know, do you find yourself like does that question get asked? of you again internally about like how do you you know like is it actually folly to kind of dismiss um people when they're on runs like why not just like you know should it make you more likely to get them knowing that it's going to have compound effects if it goes wrong with regards to like effective ownership and stuff like that and uh yeah does it do, do you are you kind of like untroubled by that sort of discussion internally or does it also feature for for you like more so than that i relish it (laughs) so like i don't know this is going to be like a slight like wrist tangent um 
but like mathematically, if your play gives you like an under fifty percent chance of like reaching a certain rank, then if you can like all things else staying the same, like capture more risk, you're going to increase your chance of hitting that rank. Um, that's just just a mathematical fact, and like. I'm probably going to play under 50% to get 10k. It was like 57% last year, but uh, looking at like the kind of years gone by, that was unusually high given all the doubles and blanks. Like usually, um, like being kind of like roughly 200 on MD, like would give you under 50%. So like right. risk, risk, risk is like on its own good. Obviously, Holland is a no-brainer to own, so that kind of like makes all the like team value things like a bit moot. Then there's if you're gonna like make a choice between owning them or not, then I think you've kind of got like more considerations. But just like for the captaincy itself, it's just that weak's points, right? Yeah. And so yeah, if if people want to captain him, then and I don't think he's the best option, then I like I relish more people going against me than going with me. Yes, sure. And you are like quite staunch in your like you know, like resolute, confident in your kind of the beliefs that you have about how we should feel about form, momentum, and like, you know, like recent results. Yeah, or at least I'll make a slightly weaker claim. The the thing that I'm resolute about is that the process to try to assess who are the best players, which relies like heavily on market evaluation, is going to win out in the long run. Because very few of the people who you're playing FPL against are going to beat the markets in the long run. Yeah, and do you remember what the like how much the spreads have moved apart from you know like if we if we remove the actual goals in terms of the actual underlying rates at which markets expect him to score goals for the rest of the season? I don't think they moved that much. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head, and the, the kind of player markets is not up at the moment, so I can't have a look at like remaining goals. But yeah, I think it's like it shifted a bit. But there's also they're a bit tricky. The kind of like season goal markets, obviously, because you've got kind of like expectations of injury. Yeah, um, which make it trickier on a week to week basis. You want to be like looking at. I haven't managed to find like good week to week spread markets to find this, but uh, you can look at things like anytime scorer and like clean the odds and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, Sporting Index have got week to week spreads, but I don't know how I don't know how big the market is. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I just uh, I'm like very happy to just kind of treat everything else as noise and and just like take the victory laps when it goes right and call it variance when it goes wrong. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 variance when it goes right as well because it, it the gaps are never as big as how much it goes right by. Yeah. But like adding up all these kind of like tiny margins over multiple seasons, I think like overall is a good bet rather than a bad one. Yep. I mean, it's interesting the sort of like that league that we're both a part of see the chat in there and stuff. If we take that as a benchmark for what you know, you know, high level play, you know, there is still the those discussions are happening with like quite quite a difference in people's approach to risk with regards to rank insulation and also just people's approach to um, the raw expected value of points in a given game week between Haaland and Salah in the in these first few weeks yeah I think it's I think it's hard there I mean you have to be like 
a real stubborn um, kind of person to like not trust your brain. Like, cause that's, that's essentially what you're doing. Cause you, you know, like the reason I like trust these kind of like processes and markets and so on is like, I know that human brains suck at this, mine included. Like if I was listening to my brain, I'd be like, yeah, obviously Captain Harlan, no brainer, you're scoring loads of goals. The XG is great. You've got 500 minutes. The model's just catching up, blah, 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 blah. And obviously that's what my brain is like saying. Yeah. But it, but it says it a lot and it's wrong. And so like, I've learned to just not trust my brain because it's often wrong. And so like, it's very difficult though. <laughs> yeah, that's really, um, that's really interesting. I think that I've never looked at it that way, but yeah, it's probably like your, your sort of reflexive unconscious brain is the part that you're trying to learn not to listen to and yeah exactly the the conscious part which is like you know has you know has been presented with evidence that you that you that you believe about you know the predictability of events and and what your best sort of play is and stuff like that is the part that's trying to tell you to like okay no st- stay the course type thing um but it made me think of how a criticism of people that use models a lot is that they outsource the decisions to something like, you know, like cold objective thing, like a model. And it's kind of like seen as a weakness to not use your brain in that way. And that's probably the part of the brain that we're thinking about is that kind of like instinctive part of your brain, which is, you know, maybe able to, assimilate a lot of different information and, and we're I, sp- I think it takes quite a lot of guts like and quite a lot of humility to say yeah i <laughs> i i can see that i would be bad at making that decision and i'm going to trust in something that i you know i i, I believe to be a, an accurate process more than i might this kind of um this more like analog process that's going on inside my own head but yeah, I think that that seems to speak to that point that people make about a criticism of model users, right? Yeah, for sure. I think um, people say it takes the skill out of the game, but uh, to me, the skill is in actually using the model when you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, good, it's a good point. And there's, there are always points where we don't like what the model says, you know, absolutely. That's, All the time. Trying to reconcile with that is... Um, yeah, there's definitely the skill involved there. It definitely responds to to experience and practice with with how to say no, and when to say no to to what the model suggested. Very cool. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to chat about? Well, I feel like we're flirting a little bit with objective evaluation of success. You know, like you were talking there about uh, when you have like a fifty percent chance of of hitting top ten k. I was talking about this mini league that you set up where it's looking at people who are like predicted to do well and stuff like that so i remember when we were on the who got the assist pod tom sort of brought up this idea of like people that use their massive data rank and we didn't really get into it and i don't really feel like i maybe defended the use of that as a legitimate indicator of how well you might be playing um, so I just thought maybe we could talk a little bit about that in terms of how we evaluate our success and like whether that is a really 
esoteric and foolish thing to be rating ourselves against like isn't that just a a, a kind of uh patting yourself on the back type thing you know if you follow the model suggestion you're going to get a good rating in the model and it's not actually telling you anything that is kind of uh external to that go on give me the defense then well the defense is that it's sort of been demonstrated that people who score well on this metric have repeatable success and you know like if you're able to accrue points um which are in line with the best expectation of a model or a market, then that is the best indicator you can get that you're going to be able to continue to accrue uh, more, like a lot of points going forwards. And you know, FBL is like extremely noisy game because it's a noisy format that's built on top of a noisy sport. So we we really struggle with outcome bias. Um, all the time, you know, from the start to the end, and a, and a whole season is not nearly enough to to succeed at FPL. I was thinking the other day about like the the this plain fact that, with all due respect to um, some of the of the good players who have won FPL, the best players in uh, in FPL never win the game, <laughs> and it's not even a reasonable idea that they might no uh, <laughs> you know you're going to have a game which is perennially won by people who are not the best players and who do not aren't able to achieve repeatable success uh, and uh, at, at a level that the best players are so again like respect to uh, there's a, there's a few uh, really good guys who have won it uh, really, really nice and humble and uh, and good FPL players, but not the the kind of best players by like you know consensus in terms of repeatable success. Yeah, I mean Fabio is never one, right? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, he is, and I think he's had a hell of a lot of good luck. Um, yes, yeah. well. <laughs> he, he, to be fair, he does score very, very highly on the kind of like long long term MD points as well. He does, yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, it's 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 not like um, it's not like we're saying he's like bad and lucky by any means, but it, yeah, sure. to, to have that kind of run, you probably do need some some luck as well. I think there's there's a there's a couple of things. You're kind of preaching to the choir to me. Yeah, I broadly agree. Um, the things that people would say is like that's just saying that the model is good. It's not saying that like you're good at playing FPL if you get a good MD rank. Mm-hmm. And so that is kind of true. I think we kind of like touched on that before, and that like it takes like quite a bit of skill to follow the model. I think it it also it does take some foresight and like strategic planning to be able to get the best MD ranks. Maybe a little bit less now that like reviews like spoiled the party and built us over. And then the other like criticism is that like the MD rank is based on like the predicted minutes going into the game week mm-hmm. rather than kind of like how the minutes turned out. And I think this is something that we've like talked to death in like um, group chats, but not really on the pod. And it's like, there is a potential edge there if you can predict the minutes better than the model can. Cause that's that I have extremely high confidence that the model uh, is going to do very, very, very well at, taking a 
players' minutes and turning it into like a very good estimate of expected value. I right. have less less confidence in the fact that the minutes are always correct. Yeah, which is why there's a lot of like manual input into the minutes, uh, even on review. Um, so then you're just kind of like you're you're looking at like a bit of hive mind and then a bit of like two people's like um, assessment. Yeah, uh, and so I do think there's like some edge there, and that's something which I think would be kind of like interesting to look into. XG rank over multiple seasons should give you like a pretty good independent. Right. Like over a long time period, that should be ultimately your over a reasonable time period, I say, because like a long time period in FPL is like 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> for, for like for like FPL rank, it's like, yeah, you, you play and then you, you're dead and then you work out like how good <laughs> you were. Like, great. Uh, but like XG rank should converge quite a lot quicker. Uh, like we're we talking like maybe like five, ten years there. Yeah. To give you some kind of like independent verification, right? Of how how good the players. Yeah, it should show up there if you're able to continuously outperform the 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 actual XG that's accrued by or the XG points. So for defenders or attackers from your players, relative to the model expectations, there there might be reasonable room for an edge there. Yeah, you could see it even quicker if you looked at just like minutes gained versus expected minutes so there you've got like some auto sub weirdness um so i'll let the clever people sort that out yep yep but i mean if you want to get a signal in less time than five to ten years then you are talking about using the massive data rank which is this sort of view of you know a view of best pre-match expectation as to what might happen and all you have to do to accept that that is clearly a really good thing to score well at is to accept that like the model is generally pretty good. And I think a lot of people don't want to engage with that idea. Probably, like if, if, you, <laughs> if you were to be a critic of of that, you know, I'm not I'm not like suggesting any one in particular here at all. Um, but like I, I guess that's that that might be the case, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. So, in short, we can just dick measure with our MD ranks, right? I think that's that's fair. We've been doing it up till now, so like, why change a winning formula? But I mean, all, all things like in seriousness, this these leagues that are set up with the top sixty-four teams that have been selected from the uh, you know like the the kind of MD rank ratings and stuff, they're gonna they're gonna kick like the elite 64's ass this year uh, and and every year yeah. uh, you know uh, and so that's something that i think people should be interested in you know if if they're skeptical about this this approach it is a, a really successful way of uh, anticipating who is going to have repeated success yep 100% i think that's a pod isn't it should be all right well that has been the 10th episode of corridor of uncertainty uh hope you enjoyed it have a lovely i don't know when i'm gonna actually get this out but i'll dip for the weekend uh so have a lovely game week uh if you are coming to the fpl meets meet up in london on saturday i'll be there say hi of course and otherwise bye from me yep cheers man